Welcome to QAV. This is a podcast about investing in stocks and shares in Australia. My name's Cameron Riley. Uh, if you're brand new, welcome. A little bit of an introduction. This is a show where I interview my friend Tony Kynaston down in Sydney. Tony's a very successful investor, been doing it for 30 odd years. He's developed a, a methodology that we teach on this podcast. We call it QAV, quality at value. How to buy shares in quality companies, meaning they're generating a lot of cash, and do that at, at the right value. Buy the shares at the right value when they're discounted to what we think their intrinsic valuation is. So we teach that methodology on this podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this and this is the first time, there's probably going to be a lot of stuff, a lot of terminology and either things that go over your head. That's okay. Uh, if you're uh, still interested at the end of this, I'll, I'll explain how you should uh, get a sort of a background, an introduction to QAV. Uh, without any further ado, let's just jump into it. Welcome back to QAV. This is episode 513. We're recording this on the 5th of April, Tuesday, the 5th of April, 2022. It's 3.25pm uh, now in Brisbane and also 3.25pm in Sydney, where the birthday boy lives. Happy birthday for yesterday, TK. Thanks, Cam. I celebrated with Jen. We watched the sunset. We had some Andy pasta and drank my birthday present, which was a, an old bottle of Grace red wine. And you were telling me before that uh, you reckon that a good bottle of wine like that, an old bottle of wine, is about twi- at least twice as good as a regular bottle of wine. Oh, definitely, yeah. I decanted it for about six hours, so that really helped. But, yeah, no, very, 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 very good. And is, it, is the difference in the complexity of the, the flavours or does it get you drunker quicker? <laughs> it doesn't get you drunker quicker, no. It's just... Uh, well-rounded flavours, nice soft flavours, even flavours, smooth. Yeah, it was lovely. Oh, that's good. Very nice. Well, on behalf of everyone at QAV who hasn't already wished you a happy birthday via the various social media things, uh, happy birthday from all of us. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for all the shout-outs on Facebook, etc. That was uh, much appreciated. Lovely. Thank you. All right, let's get into investing stuff. Tony, let's talk about financial health rating versus financial health trend in the checklist. One of our eagle-eyed watchers on uh, Slack last week, I think it was, picked up the fact that uh, you were scoring, in the latest version of the checklist, you're scoring for both financial health rating and financial health trend and uh, that this wasn't mentioned in the Bible that we were recording, uh, scoring for both. And uh, I checked with you and you said, uh, yeah, I think I've always done that. So the new version of the TK Master Sheet now is recording for both. I don't think we've, I haven't told Andrew Flipman yet, or asked Andrew Flipman, told him that we've made this change. Anything you want to say about the rating versus trend uh, situation? No, so it's probably my error. I thought the spreadsheet was was checking for both. So the health rating should be strong or satisfactory. That scores a one. Everything else is zero. And then the trend scores a one if it's steady and a two if it's increasing and a minus one if it's decreasing. The fact that we haven't been checking for both or scoring for both, the data's been in the checklist forever, but I don't think we were taking a score for both. (laughs) 
Is it going to make a big difference in uh, scoring, do you think, final scores? No, it won't make a big difference. It, it might change the QAV score by one or two points, so it might change the ranking slightly, but no, it won't make a big difference. If a company scores well for trend, which is, I think, the one that we've been scoring on up until now, would it normally also score well on rating, do you think, or are they separate? I would think usually, so I'm not quite sure. I haven't looked into that, but potentially you could have something which is in early warning for a number of months or a number of quarts or a number of halves, and therefore it will be a steady. So it's possibly different. So, Tony, I saw some news in the Financial Review this week about uh, Perpetual's $2.4 billion bid for an outfit called Pendle. I'd never heard of before, but I gather it's some sort of funds management uh, merger situation going on here. But the interesting part of the article that I wanted to talk to you about, it says, and it's worth noting that Perpetual shares have held up quite well compared to others in the funds management sector, where Pendle is down 46% over the past six months. Magellan is down 52% and Pinnacle Investment Management is down 30%. Perpetual shares have fallen by just 8.5%. So that's apparently um, doing pretty well in the funds management industry in Australia in the last six months is to only be down (laughs) 8.5%. Yeah, I, I can't really comment on a stock I follow. Petrol is a, a value manager, so it's quite possible they've been down for a long time and they're just coming back up or just, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I can't comment. <laughs> well, actually, I'm looking at Perpetual now over the long term. So it's been on a, it's been a falling knife for over the last five years and probably the last year as well. So maybe that's why it hasn't dropped as dramatically as the other ones. Right. Well, you know, I was thinking about it in terms of our QAV uh, dummy portfolio, which when we rejigged it on Nevexa last week, uh, you know, it showed that we're only, we're neck and neck as of today with the ASX 200 for the financial year. Since inception, we're like, I don't know, four, three, three times, doing three times the ASX 200 better. I I was comparing it to this and going, well, at least we're not down 52%. I mean, we're doing pretty well if we're neck and neck. <laughs> Perpetual is a, is a value manager. So this is one of the classic stories you see. In fact, it's almost like a signal that you're in a, a growth stock boom is when a company like Perpetual goes down because they're just sticking to their, their traditional value type investing and uh, haven't been providing the returns that the growth stocks have been providing. And they generally turn around now that the growth stocks have come off. Yeah, but we're value investors too. Apple but yeah, it's um, down 50%. if they haven't. No. <laughs> no, that's right. So it's pretty hard to explain, isn't it? Well, and they're getting paid to do it. Isn't that nice? If you're an investor? <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to know, like, why they're going down so much. Why, you know, do they not use stop losses? Uh, you know, they just can't get out. They're entrenched. I don't know what it is. I thought it was interesting, though. Yeah, I don't know either. It is, yeah. I think the the bigger sort of story between Pendle and Perpetual is that there's so much money going into passive investing, ETFs and index funds, that companies like Perpetual and Pendle who are both actively managing their funds having to merge or take one another over to get economies of scale to, to just still the business going, really. 
Another article that I thought was interesting, Tony, uh, this is again from the Financial Review in the last couple of days, spoils of war, commodity earnings to rise above $400 billion. There was a section in that that said, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine is expected to send Australia's annual mining and energy export earnings above $400 billion for the first time delivering a $46 billion increase and driving profits even higher at exporters, including BHP, Rio Tinto, Woodside and Santos. I think all of those have uh, been on our buy list recently. Rio? Maybe Rio. I can't remember, but the others Rio's on there now. I I own Rio, yep. And Santos is on there now. I think BHP may have come and gone. I bought Woodside last week. Yeah. Along with a couple of others, yeah. It's a shame about the the war and that it has this kind of problem. But this is exactly what happens. I mean, these stocks were on our buy list before the war. Yeah. Maybe not Woodside, but the others were for sure. And it's you can't predict what event's going to cause them to regress towards the mean and make some money for us. But this is the event. So these sorts of things that you can't predict, but we're invested in unpopular stocks and Mm. sounds like they should be going through another sort of boom period or or, or growth period anyway here. A $46 billion increase on $400 billion. That's that's a lot of of new cash, I guess. And I don't think Rio BHP are necessarily doing well because of the Ukraine invasion. I mean, they're iron ore exporters. I think that's got more to do with the iron ore price, which is being driven around by China and what it's doing with COVID and locking down and then people looking through that and seeing what's coming out the other side, et cetera, et cetera. So Mm. but certainly the gas, the Woodside and Santos, the oil and gas companies, yeah, they're definitely being affected by the Ukraine situation because the Russian oil tap has been turned off. Well, yes and no. I mean, there are there are still lots of people buying Russian oil and gas in Europe and uh, paying right. for it in rubles, and you know, there's a lot of talk about them trying to get out. I read that right. German, the, the new chancellor of Germany said they have a come up with a great plan to get off, wean themselves off of Russian gas. It's only going to take them three to five years, yep. and uh, <laughs> they'll be weaned off. Obviously, obviously, I mean, you know, uh, whilst everyone I'm sure can, uh, I'm sure they all would like to just stop buying it, but um, it's not that easy, right? Their entire economy requires gas and oil. It's going to come from somewhere. Yeah, and if it comes from Australia, it's going to carry all the transport costs uh, to get it there as opposed to just coming out of a pipe from Russia. So even if Germany does switch across tomorrow, the economy is going to take a hit because the Oil and gas prices are going up. Yeah, well, it's already going up, as I understand it, taking a hit. I had an email from a listener one of my other shows uh, who's in Poland the other day. She was talking about how much her energy prices have gone up in the last year, but you know, particularly recently, they just keep going up and up and up. It's, it uh, must be hard to keep track of it if you live over there. Well, it's hard to keep track of it here. I mean, the pump price goes up every day. Pump price does, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it must be, must be worse over there, though. I agree. Anyway, so those of us that have investments in the energy sector may benefit from the tragedy that is the war in Ukraine at the moment. And um, uh, shout out now, best wishes to Dennis, his family, and anyone else over there who's, uh, I don't know, I guess everyone over there, really. Best wishes to everyone. It's a terrible yeah. situation. Dennis did give us an update on the show last week, which was nice. Glad to hear that he got his cat 
out of <laughs> Kharkiv and uh, Kamalitsky, but yeah, just it's uh, the stories that are coming out of there every day are just tragic, obviously. They are, and I think the, the other point that's worth noting, if just for historical purposes, the Russian army is not covering itself in any sort of glory at the moment. It, it sounds like the truth isn't getting through to Putin because the general who delivers the truth gets taken out and shot probably, but I read somewhere there was a military historian, I think, delivered a speech where he said of the 18 generals who went into Ukraine, I think half of them are dead, including one who committed suicide and one who was fragged by his own tank commanders. So it's not going well for them over there. Yeah, but honestly, man, I don't know what to believe. There's so much uh, fog of war and and Western propaganda too that Mm -hmm. comes out in these things. It's really hard, really hard to really know what's really going on, who's committing which atrocities, how many atrocities are real. I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when during the uh, first Gulf War, 91, the American media was full of stories of Saddam Hussein soldiers throwing babies out of windows in hospitals Mm -hmm. so they could keep the humidity cribs and all of this. They even had a girl stand up in the United Nations or no US Congress, I think one of the two and gave a big speech about, you know, what she had seen with her own eyes and she got a standing ovation and all this. Cause, and it came out years later that she was the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador. And it was all a PR stunt that was paid for organized by their PR agency that the Kuwaiti government had spent millions of American PR agency that they'd spent millions of dollars engaging. There was no truth to it. It was all fake. It was all designed to outrage the American people so they could pass more war funding. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's happening with any uh, anything that's happening in Ukraine, but we know this stuff happens. Those of us that study history know that in these times there is propaganda on all sides, and it's really hard to know from the outside what to believe, what not to believe. So, I don't know. We'll find out maybe yeah, one day. I agree with you. And, uh, you know, getting it back to investments again, I guess the, the overall point is it's, it's an event that came out of left field that was hard to predict and it's had an impact on our portfolios, but it's not the reason we bought those stocks in our portfolios. They already existed in our portfolios mm. first. Yeah. And if anyone wants to know more about that Iraqi story, Either read my book, The Psychopath Epidemic, because I talk about it, or Google the Nazaria testimony, where I think is what her name was, Nazaria, the Nazaria testimony. Read up on it. Fascinating. All right. What's next on the list? Jeremy, a couple of weeks ago, Jeremy asked a question about CAA and aluminium prices and all of that kind of stuff and whether or not the rising price of aluminium would affect CAA's business. We've talked about this, I think, on a number of occasions over mm. the last year. Jeremy, to his credit, reached out to investor relations at CAA. And this is capital aluminium for uh, new folks and asked them, well, uh, how, do, how do you go about hedging the aluminium price? They did come back, sent him a reply, which he forwarded onto us. As he says, no meaty detail. But they said, uh, capital has various pricing mechanisms, most of which contain a pass through of aluminium price fluctuations. Do you, know, do you understand what that means, Tony? What does a pass-through of price fluctuations mean? Well, I think it means good news for capital because uh, the way I read that was that it's, they're passing through 
the aluminium price, whether it goes up or down to their customers. So they have contracts with their customers that uh, mean that the aluminium price, as far as capital goes, is neutral, but it's the price increases are borne by their customers. So that's good news for capital if that's the case. So the aluminium price goes up, capital make aluminium products, finished aluminium products, I think. So they their, their prices go up to their customers, so their profit margins stay the same. Yeah, and potentially if their costs don't go up and I exclude the aluminium price because it's being passed through, they make more money because if they, you know, it's a 10% margin normally and the aluminium price is double, that's uh, the same 10% delivers a lot bigger dollar profit to the company. Good stuff. Well, thanks for following that up, Jeremy. Well done. And as he noted in his uh, post to the aluminium price, uh, the CAA price, sorry, has gone back up since he first asked the question. So whatever caused the dip in their price was quite temporary. Let's talk about RBA and rates rises, Tony. Yeah, I should have checked. I think the RBA might even be meeting today. Anyway, but they, they, um, I think they meet on the first Tuesday of every month. The only thing I wanted to just highlight was my observation that ever since uh, 2007, when the RBA raised interest rates during the federal election cycle then, which was seen as being a negative for the Howard government, which then lost power, the RBA has been fairly studious in avoiding putting interest rates up when an election is called. So if they haven't done it today, they probably haven't, then I suspect we won't see a rate rise until after the federal election in May. People have asked lots of questions about interest rates and inflation and all the rest, but I think Calling a federal election usually puts it all on ice um, in recent years anyway. And so what are we doing with the rates in the checklist? Yeah, I need to change them. So I read an article last week about there being a price war in mortgages between the big banks. And so I want to—I went back and checked the mortgage rate that I was using to, to set the mortgage rate test against the yield of a stock in our check. And uh, I want to I lower it down to 3.22%. Uh, it's cell AW32, and we need to lower it down to, what did I say, 3.22%. And I also used CanStar, which gave, us, gave me the average for the variable home rate and mortgage rate in the market, whereas I've been using the ANZ price because that's who I have my mortgage with. So uh, another reason for a slight change in the rate. So 3.22%. Set your watches, people. Adjust your. It's kind of funny. Interest rates are going up, but uh, capitalism is alive and well. Apparently, all the, the housing market, uh, well, the housing market price increases is driving people to get into the market, and that means the banks are being swamped with mortgage applications, and they're trying to steal share from each other by mm-hmm. lowering price. You've been doing some work with Dylan. Yeah, so Dylan gave me a couple of things to look at based on his analysis of using refinitive data for the last 10 years. And I wanted to uh, just pull together all the bias that we've produced over the last two and a half odd years and put them into a usable form so I can sort of replicate that analysis, at least in the short term, and, and uh, see if it's um, going to result in some changes. But I'm still working on it. And I, there's a few things like that. I've got to, like, I keep starting them and they just become so either time time sinks or just technically difficult that I, I'm almost at the stage of thinking that I should go and hire someone full time just to help me with all this stuff. So if anyone out there has a, knows a grad who's, uh, or anyone really, who's got good Excel skills and can use Refinitiv, which I guess is, uh, what's that, 
that would be anyway some kind of SQL. Give me a shout out. I need some help. I think it just it just has an API that goes into Excel. Isn't that what he's been doing? No, it, well, it is an API, yeah, but it's I forget it's some kind of what do they call it? Uh, not Java. I've forgotten the language anyway. It's a query language. All right. You want me to talk about Slack? <laughs> yeah, I, I went. I followed your link, went to the website, and then it prompted me to download Slack, and I got all tied up in that, and I just stopped. So, what, are there two groups, or is there one? And do we need to download the Slack app to use it? <laughs> Let's talk me through it. Yeah. So, um, as club members know, this is for club members. I'm shutting down the the Facebook group for club members and moving to a just a Facebook clone, I guess, on our website. And uh, and then somebody, Barry, one of our subscribers suggested Slack, the, or the, the cool kids today use Slack for this kind of stuff. So they're separate. The club chat forum okay. and Slack are separate. I'm cross-posting our communication stuff between both and on the Facebook group for the moment till I shut that down. But um, moving forwards, I'll be doing it on both. My thinking is that, People can use whichever one. If they want to get in touch with me, they can use either one. They'll get to me. They can use whichever one to talk to each other that they're most comfortable with. And over time, we, we might just see if one is far more popular than yeah. the other, we'll shut down the unpopular one and leave the popular one. So shall I just hang, hang back and join one when it becomes the winner? Yeah. Well, what you should do is build a checklist, Tony, and figure out how to score <laughs> all of the interactions on the different things and tell me... <laughs> Do some well, regression cool analysis kids. on it. <laughs> <laughs> if the cool kids are using Slack, let's use the other one. <laughs> yeah, right. The reason I would prefer to use the other one is the same reason I want to get off Facebook is I don't trust Facebook. Slack, you know, I, I don't know. They could go out of business next month. Mm. They could get acquired by Facebook or Microsoft. I don't know who owns them now. Maybe one of them does own it. Who knows? I'm always reluctant to throw stuff off to third parties. But I guess for a thing that's just for chatting and messaging, it's um, not that big a deal if it goes bye-bye. But if you know if we have it on our own website, then we kind of own it and we can manage it and maintain an archive of the conversations going back years. I'm not sure how much value there is in that. I don't ever go back in our Facebook Facebook group looking for what somebody said to us a year ago. So it's more just to give people the convenient ways to talk to each other in the QAV club community and to ask me questions and ask you if you're listening, but I assume, I think most people assume you're not listening a great deal of the time because you're too busy playing golf or drinking expensive bottles of wine. So, um, you know, it's how they get in touch with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll join just uh, when you sort it out and let me know what to do. Don't do anything. This isn't for oh, you. Yeah. This is this is sure. for us. Ah, all right. This is for the you know the the, the pleb level of QAV Club. <laughs> you, you sit up there in your Sky Palace and you, know, you can just we'll talk amongst ourselves. Oh, speaking of which, I just wanted to thank everybody that came to the Zoom Q and A that I did last Wednesday night. I think we had about a dozen people on it. Went for about ninety minutes. It was great fun, and everyone seemed to really enjoy and appreciate i think the opportunity to ask live questions again and and so we'll probably keep doing it see how it goes so i'm going to do another one this wednesday night even though i'm in bundaberg on vacation i will turn on my laptop in my bedroom at my mother's house and uh, chat to you people there so is that your old bedroom no, Fox is in my old bedroom. Oh, I'm, really? in, I'm in another one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was going to ask what posters are on the wall. 
Oh, well, you know, lots of people have lived in that bedroom since I was okay. in that bedroom, Tony. I had two sisters who uh, grew up after right. me. Yes, all of all of the uh, Playboy posters that I had surreptitiously hidden behind Van Halen <laughs> posters uh, long gone <laughs> since I left there in 1987, sadly, because <laughs> they'd probably be worth money now. It'd be classics, collector's editions, Playboy posters. That is not the Van Halen posters or maybe, who knows? So, yeah, uh, you can find a link to that on the club member resources page. Um, go to our Zoom calls, I think you can find that. If not, it's in the newsletter. It's on all the chat things, but uh, email me if you don't already have it. But a good opportunity for new and old people to ask questions, but I think particularly for the new people. It's designed for people that are just getting started in QAV. Go, show me how to do a chart. Show me here, why does this happen in the spreadsheet and all that kind of stuff, basic questions. All right, moving right along. You want to do your pulled pork? Yeah, so we had a listener request for MAM, Micro Equities Management Group. That yeah. was from Phil on Slack. Uh, <laughs> you're not even on Slack. See how it works? It's great. So I'll get Alex to sign up to Slack and let, it, let ask her just monitor what people are saying about me. Well, that's on Slack. That's, you could do that, but that's what I'm here for. I'm, I'm doing the job for you. You don't trust me to protect your reputation and monitor for you. <laughs> you have to get Alex to see what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, no. on Slack. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Micro Equities Management Group. So uh, had a good run recently, but it is a bit of a Josephine at the moment. So the recent downtrend is down, but I'll go through it anyway. Interesting company. It's a fund manager. So we've talked in the past about whether ETFs and LICs should be on our watch list, and we, I took them off. However, this is a fund manager, so its business is managing the funds. We're not talking about the fund, we're talking about the manager. A bit equivalent to Magellan that we spoke about earlier. And the thing about fund managers is that their operating cash flow is basically fee income. So if the funds are performing that they're managing, then they get more operating cash flow in. So they can be incredibly profitable, which this company is, and I'll get to that, but they can also be incredibly volatile. So... If uh, they have a bad half, next half, then the share price can reflect that pretty savagely. So they can be good investments, but just watch. uh, If people have, a, I guess, a threshold on volatility, just be careful that some of these can go up and down quickly. But that aside, they've had some good results. And I guess the rule of thumb that's been around for a long time is in the stock market, you're better off investing in the fund manager than the fund. And The reason for that is that if you think about it, the fund manager receives a commission for the fund's performance. And so say, for example, I don't know what the micro equities management group fee structure is, but just say, for example, a generic fund manager charges a 10% performance fee. So even if the the fund gives its investors an index performance of 10%, the fund manager is taking out 1% of their fees for for basically giving you, you no special type return. And that 1% is, is straight profit to them. If the fund uh, does twice market, then they're making even more money. And because it's, there's no extra costs in the fund manager, their profit can go up quite dramatically. That's something to know. So if you're in the fund, you might just be getting 10%. But if you're in the fund manager, you could be getting a very high ROE and a very uh, strongly profitable business because it will have low costs. And we'll see that when we go through this. So... I just, uh, I guess, a bit of an outline. They're they're focusing on micro equities, as their name suggests. There's, I think, five or six funds that they manage. 
and they like to take a long-term holding. So they're, they're, I guess, in some cases, significant shareholders in these small cap funds. And then they're along for the ride and potentially being sometimes actively involved in those companies. And they they promote themselves as being a value manager. So it might even be worthwhile getting them on the the show at some stage, Cam, to have a, a chat to. Anyway, they've recently opened a new fund, which is a private equity fund. So it's giving their clients access to unlisted assets, but I think all of their other funds are listed micro cap stocks. I looked up their website. They they claim 18.9% per annum across their funds since 2009. So that's a pretty good return. I didn't dig deep enough to find out whether that was before fees or after fees. I suspect it's before fees, which is how that kind of performance is normally quoted. So it's good. Again, I haven't dug in detail. I don't know if they listed in 2009, but using 2009 raises a bit of a flag for me because it's the year that we came out of the GFC and things started to kick goals in. So if they had been going before the GFC, it'd be good to know what their, their longer term returns were. Anyway, I won't dwell on that. QAV by the numbers, it's a small cap stock. So the, their market cap is only $103 million and ADT of 35000 So not a big cap stock and won't suit all people, but um, interesting company to go through. I'm doing the analysis based on the price of $0.80. Cents, and because it's a small cap stock, there's no consensus forecast or targets for them. So I can't score them based on that. They have a 13.75% yield. So that's, uh, that's huge. And we're just talking about uh, the mortgage rate before. So they obviously score on the yield being higher than the mortgage rate. And this is one of the interesting stocks uh, where the yield is higher than the PE. And we haven't seen that for a long time, but that has been an indicator of, uh, of good value uh, in my experience in the past. So it scores on that one too. Uh, financial health and stock doctor is strong and steady. So it gets a point each for that. The prop calf for this one is 4.56 and the P is only 4.62. So like I said before, that's almost all the revenue flying straight through the profit with very little costs in the business driven by uh, fund performance. Net equity per share for this one is only 21 cents and the share price is 80. So it's not going to score well on book value or book plus 30. Uh, the directors in this company, however, hold, according to Stock Doctor, 74% of the company. So Huge shareholding, and so not much available float, which is why the ADT is down, but uh, scores for us on the, the founder-operator metric. It's a record low PE and consistently increasing equity, so the manual, manually entered data is strong for this one. All up, the quality score is 117%, and we get that because some of the things score twos, which gives us more than 100, but that's a very good score on quality and a QAV score of 0.26. So uh, it's, uh, it's up there on the buy list. So thanks very much for highlighting that one for us to, to go through. I wasn't really aware of it, but, uh, you know, great business model. Well, that's all the time we have for the free episode of QAV this week. On our premium episode, our club episode, we went for about another hour answering questions that had come in from the listeners this week. So each week we have a free episode and a club episode. If you're interested in getting the full episodes and access to the checklist and the Bible and uh, everything else that you need to do QAV, go to our website, qavpodcast.com.au. 
and uh, sign up for the free trial. Or if you just want to invest and you don't want to have to do the work to figure out what to invest in, go to qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. It's where we provide a couple of uh, stock tips each week and uh, we tell you what to buy, what price to buy it at and when to sell. That might be something that will be of more interest to you if you don't have the uh, wherewithal to do the full process. If you're just interested in understanding a little bit more about QAV, again, go to the website, check out episodes 301, 303 and 305. You'll find links to them on the homepage, uh, sort of the getting started stuff. We recorded those a couple of years ago, and, and that's basically where we give an introduction to Tony and his background, how he developed QAV, and we go through how QAV works section by section in, a, in, in more detail. Um, you know, so these weekly episodes kind of presume a level of a priori knowledge about that. Um, but you, you know, you can go back and listen to those earlier episodes, and they'll give you sort of a, a background on what we're doing and how we do it and the terminology and that kind of stuff. And if you have any questions, just shoot me an email. You'll find my email address on the website as well. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, uh, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter. If you want updates on episodes and that kind of stuff, join our mailing list. You'll find a link to that on the website as well. If you want uh, updates on new episodes and new products or services that we're coming out with this year, that's it. Anyway, good luck, stay safe, uh, and happy investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.